0: This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at MJMunoz.com Join me as I analyze the thrilling Red Panda Adventures number 4, The Golden Claw. Featuring manly makeup, battling bosses, and baby browns. The Red Panda Adventures number 4, The Golden Claw. It originally aired November 26, 2005. It was written and directed by Greg Taylor. And this is season 1, episode 4. A ruthless protection syndicate is shaking down the citizens and shopkeepers of the city. But when our heroes move to intervene, they learn there may be more to this racket than meets the eye. Can even the Red Panda escape the clutches of the Golden Claw? Ah, man, that's so good. I'm sure that was Taylor, and if it wasn't, then he shouldn't tell anybody that. And if it was, then uh, he should tell people that. That's so, so good. Anyway. Moving right on to the, uh, talking about the episode. I um, didn't really like the gag at the end about Kit's Butcher being in trouble. And uh, I just thought it was kind of soft, I guess you could say. And there was humor sprinkled throughout the episode. And I believe it's been a trend so far for there to be a gag at the end. And they, I don't know, I guess they're hit and miss is what I'm trying to say. But I also don't know that we need to finish with a gag every time, and I'm pretty sure there are, well, there's one episode in particular that I can think of that does not end with a gag, and uh, I found that very impactful. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. That's kind of a special episode. It's its own beast, you could say, and I don't know that uh, there's any other that strays from the formula, although I don't remember all of them ending in a gag. So, you know, ominous looking towards the future, and maybe Taylor did that because he wanted the first season to end in a gag. Uh, after all, DakotaRingTheater.com is your source for mystery, comedy, and adventure. So maybe that's why? I'm not sure. But I don't, you know, I like humor, but like I said, uh, it was sprinkled throughout, and I didn't feel like we needed it at the end here, and I. Felt like it kind of detracted a little bit from the little rest of the episode. Uh, not so much that it's you know a killer for me, but just kind of odd, and it made me notice a pattern. Okay, so I really liked how sympathetic the Jacksons were. Uh, not only did we get to hear, not only did we get to hear Pop Jackson uh, defending himself and his family and his business and his neighborhood, and then be brutally beaten. Uh, then we got to hear his daughter Dot, who was so sympathetic and scared and worried and of course this is fiction but it carried with it an air of reality and the just showing the villains to be that bad and that evil and that wicked really makes you root harder for red Panda and flying squirrel to take care of this protection racket and it was very effective and I think, I, I think it owes to the performance is of, uh, it was close uh, no, not close it was, um, Andrea Lyons as Dot, and I don't know who as Pop. I gotta figure out whose voice that is. Um, I I mostly know her, her name from, uh, Jack, Blackjack Justice, so, anyway. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really good. Oh, and, and, you know, I did mention that the Golden Claw is ruthless, but it's not that the Protection Racket specifically tells us how ruthless the Golden Claw is. The fact that she has... Uh, <laughs> bodies littered at the bottom of the, did she say Lake or River? I can't remember. But anyway, she's you know gotten a bunch of mob bosses killed to take over their, uh, their enterprises, let's say. And the fact that she had, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was friends with Mace. He had Mace or she had Mace killed by his buddy who brought him in to the operation and he kind of did it without question. He I bet he felt he had no choice, but also, I bet he wasn't the noblest of fellows, and that's why he was willing to ice his own friend, to keep him quiet, because as he said, now you ain't ever going to talk. And of course, the twist that the Golden Claw is a woman, not a man, is uh, pretty interesting. That's why I named the episode Woman's Touch. She talks about the crime syndicates, the crime organization in... uh, Is is it Toronto? Do we know it's Toronto? I think we do. Yeah, because of the terrific twosome of Toronto. Anyway, um, she mentions it needs a woman's touch to be focused and organized. And that's uh, pretty interesting. So, uh, like, one, that idea is interesting. Two, it makes her more interesting, more compelling. And three, I don't know, it's just kind of fun. All right, so, um, I wonder, should there have been more build-up to Golden Claw? We're four episodes in. She's been controlling a more focused majority of the underworld for some time months Maybe I wouldn't think a year Weeks at the minimum, but I would think months at this point um, Should there have been hints now? I thought about the past three episodes or the first three episodes we have Night Patrol rabbit season. I'm doing these out of order and riddle of the Sphinx so We've got a super criminal in Riddle of the Sphinx on his own, doing his own thing after being a petty criminal. We have Night Patrol, which is just kind of... Well, that leads to the... Well, there's a twist there, but it leads to another supervillain. And then we have the last episode, which I'm struggling to remember the name. Oh, Rabbit Season, which is a new supervillain, a superhuman type of supervillain, who we get revealed. So I guess they have, as Red Panda mentioned, it's easier to recognize the... Uh, (laughs) the mad scientist in the Bumblebee costume than it is the low level crime so maybe this was part of the plan for them to be kind of out of the loop because they've been dealing with these larger threats they tried in episode 2 to deal with petty crime, you know, doing night patrol and it led them to an encounter with a supervillain so, I don't know, I guess that is interesting but I wonder what it would have looked like had there been hints of Golden Claw throughout anyway, it's kind of interesting to think about Uh, As far as the gadgets are concerned, we had disguise makeup uh, which I think counts as a disguise even though technically It's not an item. It's you know an assemblage of items or whatever and techniques But to me it still works at least the uh, you know the palette for the makeup would be the gadget Um, (laughs) uh, Then we've got gas grenades that have knockout gas in them that Red Panda and Flying Squirrel use and then we have special radio equipment So apparently Red Panda in his civilian form is Frank Uh, has some sort of radio transmitter on him. It's going to Kit in the guise of the Flying Squirrel and she is somehow transmitting that to Chief O'Malley and the police. I think on the police band or whatever is what they said. So, that's interesting. Uh, We don't know what that tech is, but we don't really need to know. All we know is that they have special radio equipment and that really suffices. So, that's cool to record that. I'm going to move on talk a little bit more about Red Red Claw, rather. No, Golden Claw. Sheesh. Golden Claw uh, seems like a one-and-done villain. She feels impressive given the scope of her crimes and her coming up in a world of scumbag men. And the reason I focused on them being scumbag men is because it wasn't that she was breaking the glass ceiling, it was that she was breaking through guys who probably wouldn't have a problem breaking a lady's jaw because they're thugs and hoodlums. So, that's interesting that she was able to come up under that, it, or in that environment, and I wonder how that happened, and I wonder, like... I think there's a cool, interesting backstory for Golden Claw. Not something that makes her sympathetic, just something that tells us who she is or gives us more of her story. And I think that can be kind of interesting. I'm going to move on to talking about lore. So uh, Red Panda and Flying Squirrel are immune to their own knockout gas, which is pretty crazy. And, uh, well, that kind of opens up questions. Uh, or it, So it gives a perspective on Red Panda that he's so desperate to win in his war against crime, his one-man war against crime, that he is willing to subject himself to his own knockout gas and make himself eventually immune to the knockout gas so that he can use it effectively and have it not be a double-edged sword that could be accidentally used against him and have him knock out when he's using it on enemies. And uh, Kit is so desperate to join him and make it a one-man, one-woman war on crime that she's willing to subject herself to that same treatment and trust this strange man who she doesn't really know to be around her when she's knocked out until she ain't knocked out anymore, if that's how it works. Uh, And three, that raises a a question in my mind, is there a possibility that at some point the knockout gas formula will need to be tweaked so that the criminals if they're, let's say a hood or gangster who keeps running in different people's crews as a henchman could he eventually become immune to the knockout gas and then be able to withstand it and could that cause a complication in the future i think that's kind of a fun idea again unless they tweak the formula which i could see red panda doing because he doesn't want to allow uh for any chance like that to happen he must have read the art of war okay red panda must have learned to disguise himself somewhere along his journey and i think that's pretty cool to think about him working with somebody i who would it have been a spy a thief um I don't know. Was it some noble person or some sort of criminal who knew how to disguise themselves and how did he get to that point where he could do that too? I just find that interesting. Uh, Let's see. Oh, okay. So this is a... I don't know if this counts as lore or not, but this is my show, so I'm doing it. Kit's eyes are brown, apparently, not green, and I think it's a bold choice and I think that's kind of cool. And then there's a little bit more here, which is O'Malley is not decrying Red Panda and Flying Squirrel in this Golden Claw case in the papers. So that's interesting because maybe he's coming around to them. Maybe he's not. At some point, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, I'll put it that way, if he comes around to them and maybe even has a rooftop conversation with them. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. You got to stick around and find out. So, anyway, being that there's a potential for a character arc and a development between them... I'm just noting that the slow burn might be starting here, where we're seeing uh, him not attack them in the papers. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, overall, this was a fun episode. Uh, It seems like not much happens. There's a, you know, mastermind-type crime boss criminal here, not a supervillain, and they're just helping out people in the neighborhood. But the cool thing is they're actually helping, you know, it's better than catching one purse snatcher and beating them up, you're effectively catching or beating up and and hurting, uh, you know, dozens of purse snatchers or a whole organization of purse snatchers who coordinates purse snatching so that they can get it more regularly and set up and become integrated and insinuated into people's lives where they begin to think it's normal to have some of your money taken from you by threat of force like, you know, people are going to beat you up or men with guns are going to come after you and threaten to harm you and your family or even kill you or something like that if you don't give them the money they deserve it's kind of interesting kind of interesting that people would accept and legitimize a group like that i'll say no more i don't want to offend anybody's canadian sensibilities but yeah overall i thought it was a good episode and i liked it and i'm looking forward to talking about the next one so for now This is MJ signing out, and I hope you are well and you be well. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around, you're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.